0: Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The O2
2: pitch and a miss, stuck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008
0: World Champions of baseball. Brad Lynch does it again and stays perfect for the 2008
2: season. 48 for 48 in save opportunities. And
3: what the city celebrates. Well, Ray, I don't know about you, man. I still get goosebumps when I hear that. <laughs> I do, too. Every single time. And I would imagine our next guest may as well. He's the man who's responsible for a lot of that. The great Charlie Manuel. Charlie, first of all, it is a pleasure and a delight. And thank you for joining us. And second of all, when you hear that Harry Callis call, what goes through your mind?
1: I laugh. And I'm, I, uh, Happiness, you know, I, got, I uh, just kind of, uh, all of it just kind of comes right back to me,
3: <laughs> really. You know, it was- I
1: kind of remember uh, looking up in the stands and seeing people start screaming, all, and the players kind of just paused for it like they didn't know what had happened, and all of a sudden it kind of hit them, and they uh, took off running to each other, throwing them on the ground, things, jumping on the piles, <laughs> And the guys in the dugouts, so the coaches, they were, they were trying to hug us and everything like that. <laughs> uh I yeah that was great uh unreal, actually, it means more to you to me now than I think it ever did because uh because I was so tied up into baseball, you know, like in every day seemed like all year long, I was working and things like that, so uh, now it's kind of uh when I'm off the field, I can kind of relate to it, you know like probably in a better way,
3: you can savor the moment now as you couldn't then. Um, before we get into into your story, and that's what we're kind of calling this, tell us your story. We know that you've had some health challenges in the last couple months. Don't want you to talk about that more than you'd like to, but you doing all right now?
1: Yes, I'm doing very good. I, had, uh, I went in uh, on the 16th of December. I went into the hospital to uh, have some work done on a, a replacement from a two-year uh, operation two years ago. I had a hernia, you know, like, and I'd had it for a long time, and it started growing, and I had to have it uh, operated on. And uh, evidently, uh, they put this mesh in my stomach, and and it didn't work out too good, and they had to go back and replace it. And uh, actually, I thought it was, you know, like, uh, I I thought it, you know, like it was serious, but at the same time, too, you know, I didn't really uh, understand the complications of it and everything like that and all and all of a sudden, Glenn, I ended up with uh, two major operations and uh, mm. I looked up out one day and I saw all my family members there and it kind of got a little scary for me. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I, that's, Charlie, I was reading, I, I was reading the, the story that Jim Salisbury wrote where that was the point that you made all of a sudden. You woke up and there was your whole family around your bed and you said, man, this must be more serious than I realized.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, but it was a lot of pain involved and uh, it, was, it was a lot of laying on my back and uh the, you know, like I've, uh, I feel like I've gotten through it, and uh, I work out every day. I walk and I do some exercise, and I'm getting my strength back. I was very weak, uh, but I'm getting my strength back. I lost uh, quite a bit of weight, and I'm starting to eat better, and my system's working, and uh, I feel much better. Are well, be okay?
2: Yeah, Jim's story said, indicated that you, you and your wife are are out as a lot of people are right now given what's happening in the world but a lot of people are taking long walks and you've been taking uh you said you were walking up to seven miles you're doing about four miles a day now which is still pretty good
1: yeah well you know like uh, yeah before you know like first time when i got out of the hospital uh, you know i like went through a rehab program and and i've uh about two weeks and then all of a sudden i just started walking anywhere from like five six seven miles a day but uh since i got through this last procedure you know, like I'm up to like four miles. And eventually, I'll, I'll probably get, get a little more or, or I'll do more exercise once I start lifting some weights and stuff.
3: Charlie, we feel we know you from all of your years here, but there's so much of you that is an unbelievable story. And I kind of want to start at the beginning, which was tell me if any of this is incorrect. You were born in a car in West Virginia. You were one of 11 kids, the oldest son. Your dad died when you were 18, basically meaning you were the man of the house. You had the opportunity. You had a scholarship to play college basketball at U of Penn, but you had to go to work, and you went to work as a as a player, you, you a bonus baby of the twins. First of all, is all of that correct? And second of all, when did we make that movie?
1: Yeah, it, it's all correct. Uh, uh, actually, I... Uh, we, had, uh, my mom had, uh, uh, we, we had 12 kids. She had one kid that passed away, you know, like early mm-hmm. uh, from birth. I mean, close to birth, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it was all. Uh, we lived in a like a four-bedroom house and stuff like that. And uh, actually, uh, my family days were, you know, like being with my bo- uh, brothers and sisters and things, Glenn. Yeah. outstanding i couldn't that couldn't have been better really mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I appreciate it more every day
3: i'm sure but you had it put upon you as you're not even 20 yet that you're you're the man of the house you got to go out and earn a living
1: yeah I, I uh you know like uh i definitely had to help my mother and uh you know like it was uh actually i uh in, enjoyed helping her and you know like it kind of drove me in my in my work and also you know like things to do really.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if you were if you were offered a college basketball scholarship, you're obviously a pretty good basketball player.
1: I was a, I was I was a to me when I think back about it, you know like I was I was a I was a very good high school player. I don't know how good I'd been in college or or uh, or any. I don't I don't know if I could have been a professional player, but in high school, yeah, I was pretty good. I took it real serious. But I enjoyed it.
3: So, at nineteen, you report to the Appalachian League to play rookie ball. Um, what was that like? Tell us about you know a young man, a kid going off to play to play ball. Fortunately for you, I guess it's kind of near your home in West Virginia, right? Right.
1: right. See, I was you know I, actually I was born in West Virginia. I never really lived there, I, but I, well, I, that's where I was born. It's where my oh. mom had me, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, and she had me in a car and they took me. Uh, the doctor, uh, you know, like the doctor that she went to, that's where I was in North Fork West Virginia. And, and that's where my birth certificate says, <laughs> but, but really, see, I, I lived in Southwest Virginia. Okay. I, I, also, also, uh, Glenn, where I played, uh, uh, a rookie ball in Whitfield, Virginia, yeah. that right there was, uh, uh, I, I actually lived there and, and went to, uh, First grade of school, first and second grade of school there. Oh, well, there you but, go. Uh,
3: <laughs> so, what's it like? What's it like for a kid going off to play ball? A young kid going off to play ball.
1: Well, I, I think it was because it was close to where I uh, grew up, came from. You know, I think I think that really helped me because I had a lot of kin people around there. I had a lot of my uh, my mom and dad uh, had had kin people there. And, you know, like I knew all my uncles and aunts and things like that. And actually, they used to come see me play. It wasn't, it, it was, it was it, it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't that much difference as far as uh, uh, leaving high school and actually going and playing rookie ball.
2: How much were they paying back then, Charlie? What, what, do you remember what your first contract was?
1: $500 a month. I, I signed progressive I,
2: I, I signed
1: a, I signed a, uh, for that year, I want to say it was for two and a half months, but I signed a progressive contract that was worth like uh, over thirty thousand dollars. At back then, I got a twenty thousand dollar signing bonus. It's not
3: bad for and, back then, uh, actually, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was for, for you know for a high school player. It was, uh, that was uh, two or three years before the draft. It was two, two years before the draft, so you know, like the the pay was definitely different then too. Well, once had a draft. I want to say Rick Mundy was the first guy drafted, and you know, like, and he got uh, a huge bonus. Of course.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the hey. The
1: biggest bonus, the biggest bonus I ever heard anybody getting around there where I live was Randy Huntley, and he got like a hundred grand supposedly. Yeah. Oh wow!
2: <laughs> yeah, he was a good player, and he wound yeah. up having a good career. Was there yeah. anybody else? In, yeah. Was there anybody else in that first team, Charlie, that wound up making it to the big leagues besides you?
1: Reggie Smith. Uh, was an outfielder with us on on, on on the team I played on, and uh, uh, Boston drafted him off of the Triple A roster that uh, that year that, uh, that the Twins didn't protect him. It's kind of like the Comini deal with the Dodgers lost Comini.
3: Yeah, and
1: uh, Boston drafted Reggie Smith off of, off of that roster, and he and he uh, ended up in the big leagues within two years, I think.
2: Yeah, he was a great player. He was he was he was a great player. One of the Charlie, I remember one of the first baseball All-Star games I ever covered was up at Yankee Stadium, and I was up there on the practice day, and um, the, the the players were all out on the field just go, kind of goofing around, and they had a throwing contest from right field, and the three and they were throwing from right field to home plate, and the three guys that were throwing were Dave Parker, Reggie Smith, and Dave Winfield, three pretty right. good arms, <laughs> big arms. Those
3: are big arms. You uh, bet. Uh, I uh,
1: on that same rookie ball club that we played on. A guy named Dennis Jacobs. He was an outfielder from Montebello, California, and I see him every now and then because he, he, you know, he played rookie ball with me. and He played A-ball with Carew and I in uh, Orlando, uh, and uh, he probably had the best arm I ever seen because you know Don Zimmer used to say we'd be in the instructional league, and Jacobs was the same age as Reggie Smith and I, and he could stand at home plate. And throw the ball over the four hundred twenty foot fence with about a step and a half. <laughs> wow! He had the best arm I ever
3: seen. So, Charlie, you come up with the twins, uh, and boy, that was a that was a great team. They won the World Series one year in the mid sixties. But it's it's Harmon Kellebrew and Big Bob Allison, and, and later Carew. You mentioned him, um, uh, Tony Oliva, great hitter on that team. Jim Cott. Who are the uh, the the guys you came up with that really stick out to you?
1: But the guy uh, Tony Oliva was just uh, he was about a he was about maybe a year or two ahead of me and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rod Carew played with me like in '64 and '65 uh, uh, and then he went straight to the big leagues from Wilson, North Carolina, Carolina League and uh, 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 I was there around Allison Kilburn and all those guys for quite a while in spring training and also probably. What, about four or five years, you know, I was I was I was I was on those Twins teams. I always had a uh, rookie year. I broke my ankle, and then after that, you know, like I was always uh, hanging on, you know, like yeah. to to uh, uh, keep a job. And then and, and actually, I was a kind of like a three-player move in the game. You know, like if I can't hit and wanted to put me in the game, you had to uh, send somebody in to run for me. And uh, actually, when I think about it, I was fortunate enough to to uh, get as much time in as I did as a player. Who taught you your love of hitting? I think it uh, when I was a kid. I used to uh, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side he used to take me up to this barber shop, and uh, in Austinville, Virginia, and uh, at that time, you know. Uh, they had uh, kind of like a semi-pro team that, that would play on Saturdays and Sundays, and I'd go up there and watch a game with him when I was a little boy. And once I started, uh, you know, just keeping up with it, I, he would listen to the radio sometimes, and I'd go in and sit and listen listen to the radio with him. I remember when Jackie Robinson uh, played in the All-Star game, I want to say it was in 49. I can remember that. Mm. And... Uh, So, you know, like once I got interested in it, I used to to have a ball, a bat, and I would throw the ball against the center block house that we had. Things like that and catch it coming off. And I just kind of played by myself. I didn't even make my – I lived in a place called Freeze, Virginia. I didn't didn't make a little league team. You know, like I made a YMCA team when I was about 12 or 13 years old. But uh, I couldn't make a – Our uh, little league team, but at the same time, I used to practice by myself. Hit a lot of rocks, things like that, and I was always, always interested. Always collect baseball cards, things like that, and I knew about every player.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've I've seen you referenced. I've seen references over the years when you when you've talked because you've always been regarded as a. As a hitting guru, either as a coaching. When you're a manager, but um, that you've you've often referenced uh, Ted Williams as a guy that was an influence with you. How did you encounter Williams? Because he obviously wasn't part of the Twins organization.
1: You know, I, I think uh, when, I, when I first met Ted Williams, actually, when I to talk to him, things he was he'd just become a Washington Senators manager, and I talked to him like in spring training, and uh, but. Uh, but, no, no. I'll take it back. I first met him when I was a, playing in the minor leagues, and I met him here in Winter Haven when we would play Red Sox minor league teams over over here in Winter Haven. I was in Melbourne, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, used to, you know, when I talked to him, you know, uh, and then later on when he became a manager of Washington Senators, he used to he used to work with Greg Nettles, and I, Billy Martin would get mad. You know, like we'd come out – have an early hitting a guy named Johnny Gore would throw to us, and uh, Williams would always be sitting over in a dugout and come over and start talking to us, and start <laughs> instructing us. And and I and I, and once we started talking to him, every every time I'd see him, he'd holler at me and things. And and I used to use his, his book, you know, the science of hitting, you know, like just to have a conversation with him.
3: Well, you know, that was so, That was wise you know. on your part, man. If you're gonna listen to somebody about hitting. Man, that's, that's as good as it gets. Uh, I'm going to fast-forward a little bit here because I want to get this part in before the first break, which is a couple of years in, in uh, the major leagues, the Twins, the Dodgers. You end up finding a baseball home in Japan where you became known as Aka Oni, the Red Devil. I love that. Uh, and, and one year led the uh, Japanese league with 48 home runs. Uh, that's good anywhere. Give us just a little sense of how did you how did you end up getting to Japan and how was it different there
1: well you know like uh, the problems I had uh, as far as getting to play every day was uh, you know like uh, uh, I always thought that actually I was a much better hitter if you if you look at my big league stats and things like that, if you see how how I got my bats and things you know like you might not grade me on my. Uh, 199 or 200 batting average mm-hmm. because I was a much better hitter than that. And I knew that, but at the same time, you know, uh, going to Japan was a was a it w- was a actually sitting on a bench in the big leagues, you know, like the pump. I kind of uh, you know like it seemed like when I got sent out to minor leagues, I would kind of was like the modern day minor league player. I'd get I'd come back up, sit on the bench, and then eventually send you back out. And that, that happened to me for about five or six years. So then, you know, like, eventually Japanese, uh, uh, Nobi Qantas was a, a dodgeball trainer, and he was on the medical staff, and he was from Japan, and he got them interested in me. And then they, they'd come in and watch me for uh, the one year in Albuquerque, I want to say 74 or 75, and they and they kept trying to, to get me to come over there Finally, I gave the Dodgers permission
3: to sail me to Japan, and that's how I got there. What was it, was it like? How, I'm sorry, right?
2: No, I was just going to say you—you you must have been a big star over there. I mean, to hit that number of home runs, I mean, you must have been a celebrity. What was it like to be a—you a, know—a celebrity in the land that far away?
1: I think it—you uh, know—actually, uh, when I first went there, I, I think I've told you the story about when I—when I first got there, I was petrified when I got off the plane because. You know, I got there about one o'clock in the morning or something like that or or and uh and they had uh, they I came off the plane and I went through security and right as I went off security they had this bit they had this big room and they had a they uh they had they had a lot of reporters I don't know exactly how many but I know there was anywhere fifty to a hundred wow. it's like I was a star you know before I'd ever played, <laughs> and they had my uniform and everything like this. <laughs> and I was petrified. I didn't know what to say. And if I believe me, if I could have found my way back on the plane, I woulda. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's kind of how I got there. And then uh, I went out after that. It's about one o'clock in the morning, one thirty, something like that. And I went to this, uh, this nightclub with uh, Davy Johnson and uh, uh, Roger Repose and Cleve Boyer place called Biblos, and you we know, mm-hmm. was in there for about an hour, hour and a half or something. And then we had to go fly to Unimoto. That was where we was going to spring training. It was on an island in northern Japan. And, uh, and uh, I mean, southern Japan, I'm sorry. And from there, you know, we got off there, and we took about off at the airport in Kagoshima. We got off of it, and we took a uh, 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 train for about uh, – to uh, Unamoto, and that was about a two-hour drive. And we got there about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and then we had to go walk and practice. And uh, that was the first day of practice. I think I told you how sore I was. was well, I,
3: I remember pain. you told me the story where training involved climbing up 200 steps or something, and you were not yeah. prepared for that.
1: Yeah, you know what? It was 169 steps, I, and I think I got to 38. <laughs> I was that much, I was that, that's how good a shape I was. About the same kind of shape I'm in right now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, Joe, after a month, though, nobody could beat me up with a You know, they'd laugh at me and think, you know, like, uh, uh, they'd say things like I wasn't any good and all that kind of stuff, whatever. I I remember it just like it was yesterday, but I was as sore as unreal.
3: Charlie, we're going to take a break here. Do me a favor and hang in. We want to come and talk to you about uh, your time with the Phillies and how much fun that was for everybody here. Can you hang with us another segment? I uh, Sure can.
2: Holiday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time! Roy Holliday!
3: Well, that uh, is one of my favorite moments of that entire uh, special special time as Roy Halladay through the no-hitter in the against the Reds in the postseason. Um Charlie, I know uh how close you were to Roy Halladay, what he meant to you. Is there is there a game or a moment or something that really embodies him for you? Actually,
1: uh the two no-hitters that year, Glenn. Yeah. Uh the one in Miami uh was uh you know like uh the one in Miami, you know, like it was hot, and uh, uh, he had a, a great fastball that day. And uh, as good as I've probably ever seen him throw, you know, like whenever he wanted to, you know, like he could take his velocity up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and he definitely had command of his fastball early in the game, and he kept it all the way through up until through the middle innings, probably got to like a fifth, sixth inning through some, started throwing some off speech stuff. But then then later on, like, seventh, eighth, and ninth and went right back to his fastball. And usually he would, he would throw about as many uh, secondary uh, pitches as, as he would his fastball in a game if you would look at the typical Roy Holiday game. And, you know, his command was what really uh, made a difference in how good he was and the fact that his ball always moved. But in the uh, against Cincinnati, he had all of his pitches going that night and he was dominant and he got a hidden account and he, uh, you know, like he just used all of his stuff to carve them up. And and if you would ask me which game I thought was the best, I would probably say the one was Cincinnati because, uh, you know, like the type of team that he was pitching against and also the moment he threw it in yeah. and all that went into it. And uh, those are the, the two best games that I remember, of course, and they, they both were no hitters.
2: When Whenever you talk to the, his teammates, the guys that played with him on that on that team, uh, and the guys that played with him in his first stop around, the, the thing that they always say about him is his preparation, preparation. Pre- everybody uses that term in the way he prepared mm-hmm. for a game. Uh, could you describe a little bit about what that was like and how you as a manager, I guess it, you didn't really have to coach him up very much. I guess he, you kind of just left it up to him because he knew how to get himself ready for his start.
3: He,
1: without a doubt, he did. And also, too, when you say you didn't have to coach him very much, actually, you know, like uh, – he uh, he took a liking to uh, to Rich Doobie, and they they became very close. But uh, but when the game was starting, things like that, Roy didn't he didn't say a whole lot to nobody really. I mean, he would get you know he that was his focus. But as far as his workouts go, you know, like when we first got him, uh, I showed up in spring training at like 5:30 every morning. He beat me there, and I got mad, so I started really uh, you know <laughs> getting in there a little earlier. And earlier I'd get in there, it seemed like uh, he'd be there waiting on me. <laughs> and uh, you know, like, in, I'd walk in the weight room there and look, uh, Roy Alda's a pitcher. You know, like, and there are certain things like uh, doing curls or squats and things like that. This guy's doing heavy squats, and you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, weight like you know, like seven, eight hundred pounds. Things like this, I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, and you know, like, we couldn't slow him down, and he, and he he would never be by his locker. He'd always be working out and being prepared. And I think it, uh, his conditioning program, once he started, if you listen to how he uh, went through the minor leagues and he got sent out of the big leagues at one time, and he's determined he's going to get back. And uh, uh, you know, like Dorthman worked with him and yeah. from mental aspect, and give him a lot of credit. Uh, Roy did. Uh, uh, you know, like that was his uh, that was his guy that he uh, mentally he, he talked to a lot. And I think it. Roy Holliday was in such a great shape that he thought he was stronger than everybody else. He thought he, you know, like, and that was who his identif- identity was, I'm bigger, stronger, I throw harder, I, I can outsmart you, and, you know, like, and I'm going really, de- determination was off the chart, and he, he didn't talk much, but he was a, he was a silent silence leader on our team and a big influence on our ball club, of course. And the players that were around him, he loved. He loved uh, Utley, Howard, Rollins, and our team, and the pitchers and things. He was he was he was a tremendous teammate, but at the same time, he was a great talent.
3: Charlie Manuel, you I, are always I
1: feel to this day, Glenn. To this day, yeah. I feel that uh, he came over uh, to be with us because he wanted to win win the World Series.
3: Yeah. And, and that, in and, in and
1: that, you know, when I think about him and how close I got to him after both of us was off the field. Uh, you know, like I, uh, uh, if I could have one wish in baseball, I would have, I would have wished that we could have won a World Series with Roy Alladay on our team.
3: That's very nice. Uh, you were very known for your ability to connect with players. And the one, the one that we always saw, cause he was usually standing next to you at the dugout, the uh, railing at the dugout was Jimmy Rollins. Um, fair to say you guys had a special relationship?
1: Without a doubt. I, I, I I'll tell you something. I look at, uh. I love Jimmy Rollins. You know, like I, I used to love Kenny Lofton. I, I've had some players that you know, basically, you know, like uh, I, I knew who they were. And they, I was very close to them, and people used to ask me a lot about, you know, when, uh, what did Jimmy and I talk about? A lot of times, I would be just answering, and, uh, uh, and and you're like, he, I guess he thought that I was agreeing with him, but not really. <laughs> I was what. Like, I was watching the game and I just go, yeah, yeah. And you like, it, it was, but still, yeah, believe it or not, it would pump him up. You know, like, in, uh, uh, he knew I wasn't mad at him for swinging that 3 1 pitch and overswinging and popping it up uh, about 200 feet in center field. <laughs> but at the same time, hey, Jimmy Rollins was a great talent. When I think about him, the more I think about him, uh, he was a 5 2 player. He was like uh, a Robbie Alomar type player. And uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, Jimmy was a uh, he was an underrated shortstop and and actually when I when I look at his uh, production as a hitter and and how he went about it underrated player for me Glenn Glenn I'm, yeah. uh, I think that he was uh, uh really I, I the more the more that, that I out off the field and things like that and I see players. Jimmy Rollins, Jimmy Rollins, for me, could definitely be a Hall of Fame player.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was thinking, Charlie, because I think the, the Alomar comparison is not a bad one. I mean, it's similar in that respect, and Robbie Alomar's in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Glenn and I have talked about this on the show, is, you know, if there, if there would be anybody off of your team, your championship team, the team that won it all, that went to the Hall of Fame, and we think there's a chance, sadly, that, that none of them might go, but we thought that the one sure. that would, if if one if it were to be one, Glenn and I both agree, it should probably be Jimmy.
1: Right. It was, you know, like talent-wise, you know, his, his his talent speaks for itself. You know, it's one thing you can't take away from a guy is his tools and his talent. and When you see him like run, throw, and, you know, like uh, some of the things that would go unnoticed was his uh, his throws on on cutoff and relays. You know, like when he was when he, when you hit him when the outfielders hit him. Uh, with a ball in, in uh, his throws that he would make. He would make deep throws at times. Yeah. And he, he had an accurate arm. He had a great accurate arm. And, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of his talent, would, uh, you kind of took for granted. But he was that good of a player. I think that uh, uh, Utley was a, a preparation-determined player. Uh, he was a very special in his own way. You know, like as far as if you're going to grade uh, players out, Uh, Utley uh, didn't have the the range or the big arm like Jimmy had, things like that. But uh, Utley had a lot of determination at heart. And, you know, like in the the love and passion to play baseball, Jimmy had a lot of the natural talent.
3: You know, like the tools. If I were to suggest a player that drove you nuts, I would think his name would be Victorino.
1: Yeah, I think, it. uh, you know, like Uh, You know, I did. uh, He did at times, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like he was, uh, because he was so hyper and Mm -hmm. high strung and things like that, you know, like he. uh, But when I think about him, I'm going to tell you something. I give him credit because for a little guy, he had a lot of talent, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, Victorino was a big part of our club, too. I mean, uh, we had a balanced lineup, and Victorino. Like when he hits second or led off, or I could bounce him down in a six hole and things like that. And I, I could use his talent, you know, like uh, uh, you know, like to just to, to set up innings, especially when he hits six down in the uh, at the end of a, uh, down toward the end the end of the lineup to do some uh, to manufacture some runs and things. He was a, he was he had, for a little guy he had a lot of talent too. He had a big arm, you know, like and he had speed and he was a switch hitter, you know, all those things counted. You know, like uh, Victorino definitely played a part in our winning.
2: For your relationship being with Jimmy as close as it was, and you just talked about that, um, there were times when you had to sit him down. There were times when you had to discipline him uh, for, for not hustling. Uh, was that hard for you to do? I mean, given the fact that you really, you really liked him, you admired the way he played, the times that you actually had to discipline him a little bit, was that, did, was that hard?
1: no it wasn't hard at all i i had gonna tell you something i i wasn't hard it wasn't hard for me but at the same time too uh uh he was the reason why it wasn't hard for me because he never i gonna tell you something. he always uh he i always felt like he was close to me and, and uh, showed me a lot of respect he, he, jimmy jimmy never argued with me i i mean never, uh i can't uh i remember one not one day in Bo, uh, washington when we went to see the president that day and we come out, and Jimmy was a little, you know, he it uh, was hot. He he was a little slow reacting, and I kind of and I got on him, and he said something back to me. But it wasn't, you know, like and it was in a, uh, it was a competitive kind of deal. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like he
3: it wasn't uh, challenging
1: you. right? Yeah. He was uh, he was he was a professional, and 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 he realized. Uh, I think Jimmy realized that every now and then he would needed a kick in a rump or somebody to, you know, like, tell him to, to, to let's go. You know, like Lofton was like that. Yeah. I mean, really. It, One it, other player it, it, it I want to ask hard for me to do, huh?
3: One other player I want to ask you about because I know what a special relationship you had with him. We didn't. We saw him here. You saw his best in Cleveland, and that was Jim Tome. And I know when he got into the Hall of Fame, he said uh, Charlie Manuel was like a father to me. That for you that was a very special relationship for the two of you wasn't it
1: i think it was you know like uh, at that t- at the same time see i was in the i was a manager in the minor leagues and when i first uh, and, and uh, when i first met tommy you know like he was he was so young and uh, and he was a and he was around me and he followed me everywhere i'd go and uh, so and really you know like i couldn't uh, i I couldn't get away from him and stuff because he always wanted to work and he always wanted to be a pro to him and he always wanted to hit. And uh, uh, Jimmy was a big, strong kid. that could uh, ball jumped off his bat. And, uh, you know, like I really enjoyed being around him. I uh, And I think the time that he's – that in his career and all those years I was with him, I think it uh, – I think it uh, – I definitely helped to store confidence in Jimmy. And he was, big, but Jimmy had a lot of talent as a hitter too. I mean, and he worked hard and he was very coachable.
0: And he
1: was, he was, you know, like and he was, he he was a lot more like my son. But at the same time too, you know, like when uh, I look at guys like, uh, people always ask me about Jimmy or Ryan Howard, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it would be hard for me to uh, say uh, which one was the best because I thought Ryan Howard for about four or five years. Oh. Uh, might have been the best hitter in the National League. Might have been the best hitter in baseball. Mm-hmm. I can argue that with anyone. If you put his stats out there and, and his uh, and his performance, you know, especially when his batting average was high and his own base percentage was high and things like that, About about uh, four or five years, there he was really good too. Amazing production.
2: When you uh, when you think about the the year that you finally won it, Charlie, the the year that it all came together and that team made the run and and you won it. Um, at what point in that season did you feel like, because you had been close before, I mean this team had been close before and you knew you had the makings of it, but at what point in that season did you kind of feel like this could be the year?
1: You know, when uh, usually when I go, you've probably heard me say something about this before Uh, uh, when uh, we got beaten in Colorado you know, like when uh, uh, you know, like in uh, 07, you know, like uh, at the end of the that series, uh, that might have been one of the deadest clubhouses I've ever been around as far as you could tell that our, our players, you know, like they were un- unhappy, but they were disappointed. And it, and it, it seemed like it, everything that I saw and heard, you know, like it, that, that they were hurt. And, you know, like a lot of them didn't talk about it. You know, like they, they expected us to do much more. And so did I. And the next, usually when I come the next spring, we go to spring training. You know, hey, you know, like uh, I usually get up and give a big talk, and uh, half of it's kind of like I'm talking right now, rambling around and things. But then uh, all of a sudden, you like you can just feel it. I mean, we we wanted to play baseball, and uh, and, and actually from that day on, and through spring training, the first day. On and all through the season, I always felt like we was going to win. I always felt like that we had a better team and we had the, uh, uh, you know, like the best group of guys. You know, like uh, uh, you know, like the guys that really like to be with one another, and and uh, and we just had kind of a warm feeling about us winning and things. And we didn't, we never panicked or nothing like that when we'd lose three or four or five in a row or something. You know, like we always would pick it up, and go, you know, stay with it. We'd be losing games, Me and I remember really we'd be losing games and like against a Mets or somewhere like that, Utley or Howard or Rollins or a lot of those guys uh, would say, "Hey, we got them, Chuck. Hey, yes. uh, 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 this is our game." We'd be six, five, six, seven runs down. That didn't matter. I mean, we were you know like we would we we were, we were going to stay there and play the whole game out. And uh, and and actually, our team for about five or six years, we come to the ballpark every day. We come to the ballpark, and we were we we expected ourselves to win that game, you know, on that day, you know, like that's what we played for. And because, uh, I cannot tell you. I think of Jamie Moyer. I think of guys that's on that team, and you know, like, and I I cannot tell you how easy that team was to manage, though, too.
3: Well, the confidence on that team was terrific. The the talent on that team was just great, and the leadership on that team, Charlie, that was you, and you the the thing that you were able to do for many years here is you had a very talented cl- locker room clubhouse, but you were able to keep it together. You never lost it. They always respected you. They always played for you. And that was, that's a real tribute to the manager. Listen, we, we could talk to you all day. Uh, and we've taken <laughs> enough of your time and we, and we do have to hit a break. Before we go, what are you and Larry Boa up to these days?
1: You know what? uh, uh... Bo and I, you know, in the last, but I'd say last, what, last three or four years, mm-hmm. Bo and I have been, been able to spend a lot of time around each other. And uh, uh, we have, we can, we, Larry Bo and I have some of the greatest baseball uh, talks in, in the world, really. I mean, you know, like all the people he knows and all the people I've been fortunate enough to, to get to know and things like that, it seems like we always get around to things that we got in common. And talking baseball is one of them. And we laugh and we uh, we have a good time. I like it. Uh, I like to eat dinner with him. I like to be around him. Uh, I mean, we'll argue some, of course, and things like that. And that's all part of it. But now uh, uh, I look at uh, Bo as a uh, a real good friend. A uh, uh, very good. When I was in the hospital, he came and saw me regular and everything like that. He uh, he calls me. You know, like in spring training, he called me and asked me if I need anything and how am I doing and uh, also, too, uh, I'd like to say uh, uh, Pat Gillick calls me. He, he calls me at least twice a week, and he keeps up with me. And uh, I've, good, I've actually gotten to know Pat much better, uh, uh, spending more time with him since I've been off the field. And uh, uh, we, were co- we were pretty close when we worked together. But at the same time, you know, like uh, uh, Pat Gillick is a uh, credit to baseball and a big credit to baseball, and I and he's really he, he's been good for for me, and 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 I've learned a lot from him, and, and my success, uh, he played a big part in that too.
3: Well, listen, Charlie, you are you're a legend in Philadelphia sports. You're a terrific storyteller, which is why this hour just breezed by. Uh, Ray and I want to wish you the best of health. Please give our best to Missy, and. Um, I, people who don't should follow Charlie on social media. He's on Twitter at cm forty one. I have to believe you got a ghostwriter in your house doing that.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, 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 uh, Missy, sometimes when I'm just talking, you know, like I guess I, uh, you, you got to remember, Missy listens to me, so I uh-huh. talk a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so probably I, I would say some probably she'll she'll want to write something on Twitter for me, because. Uh, uh, just because that I'm uh, talking so much to her, so,
3: I love it. Uh, uh,
1: that might quiet me down some, but no, I enjoy it. And I, uh, but but I still on this I, especially when I go to Philadelphia or I'm in Philadelphia, uh, I I really enjoy being around the people and the fans and, and 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 the people I talk to. They always want to talk about baseball, and that's great.
3: Well, this town and its fans love you. Um, continued good health to you. Uh for Ray and I, just thanks so much for this hour, man. We appreciate right. it immensely.
1: All right. Thanks, Ray. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Glenn. And, uh, you know, it's always good talking to you. I remember our, our days over at <laughs> Love those a, shows, man.
3: Talk. You know what uh, I love? Just one last thing. I love when we'd be doing a show, and it's radio, so there's no visuals but you would try to right. describe somebody's batting stance and you'd get up and start swinging. Like, <laughs> so this is how you do it. I'm thinking like, nobody sees that, but we loved it. And, yeah. and again, thanks a ton. Right. You'd be well. Take care, you know, Charlie. Well,
1: I, uh, before I go, I'd like to just say Ponzios was a, well actually was a, a place where I really learned about relaxing and things like that. I love doing the show. It was
3: great. It was, <laughs> we it, loved it. It's
1: fantastic. I'll let you go. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you so
3: much. Thank you.
0: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better